My name is Charity Dodd, and this is the Blended Learning in Action podcast, sponsored by McGraw-Hill Education Company. Welcome to the Blended Learning in Action podcast. I'm your host, Charity Dodd, and in this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith about the seven types of rest from her book, Sacred Rest. We are also grateful to be joined by my colleagues, Cassandra Corbenthadius and Rohia Tusibi. All right, we are happy to have Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician, speaker, and author. As a busy physician, author, and mom, she understands that life demands can leave you feeling mentally overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and physically tired. She is an international wellness expert featured in numerous media outlets, including Prevention, MSNBC, Women's Day, Fox, Fast Company, Psychology Today, Inc., and TED.com. She is the author of numerous books, including bestseller, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, including life-changing insight on the seven types of rest, needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, overcome burnout, and live your best life. Over 250,000 people have discovered their personal rest deficits using her free assessment that we will share in our show notes. Welcome, Dr. Dalton Smith. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Cassandra, do you want to share why we are having Dr. Dalton Smith on our show today? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Dalton-Smith, for being here. I discovered your podcast, a podcast that you were on, um, as I was feeling very overwhelmed one day, and I just happened to be in this community and saw a link to your podcast. So I was on my morning meditation walk, and I started listening to it. So my morning meditation walk is usually pretty fast, but I started to slow down because I wanted to get through the whole podcast by the end of my walk. Um, And I will tell you that at the end of listening to your message um, and and realizing there was a science to the reason why I was feeling the way I was feeling, um, I felt very empowered and inspired to like be able to move into action and, you know, really do something and make some decisions about that, those feelings. And so I just want to thank you for, for that. Um, I had a, a lot of OMG and aha moments. And so we wanted to have you um, here today because we want to stir up the world with these aha moments and these, these, and these OMGs for others. And so just really thank you for, for being here and um, taking the time to share what, um, again, I found very empowering and inspiring um, with the rest of our the educators in our space here. So thank you. Yes, I love that, Cassandra, because I think that's the word we don't think about with rest, <laughs> empowered. But really, that is the heart behind the message and my writing is, is so that we don't feel so helpless when we are exhausted, because there are things we can do to help turn it around. As, as we begin our conversation, we are all so excited to be here with you, of course. So we're going to pass the mic. <laughs> so you're going to hear from all of us uh, just asking a variety of questions. And so I'm going to turn it over to my friend Rohir to, to um, start us off. 
So yes, we just want to jump right into the conversation, um, Dr. Dalton-Smith. And as you know, we're fans of yours here. Um, We've been trying to implement a lot of the strategies you shared in your research in our own personal lives. Um, So because we're fans, we've we've listened to a lot of your previous interviews. Um, And in those interviews, you shared that your busy life as a physician led you to the work of sacred rest. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this journey. Yeah. Well, you're right. Um, I didn't wake up one day and decide I wanted to research rest. (laughs) That's probably the furthest thing from my mind. Rest, honestly, is not something I put much value in. Um, You know, my mindset, my personality is more that of a doer. I'd I'd rather be checking things off my to-do list and kind of accomplishing goals than resting. So that's my mindset. And so that was the mindset that I went into my career. That was the mindset when I went into medicine. Um, And it worked, honestly, it it worked for uh, about 10 years into practice until I had kids and there was other responsibilities and stressors and things going on. And I think that's, that's, for me, was kind of the tipping point. And when I say it worked, I mean, I was still functioning. (laughs) Not that it was healthy, but I was still able to get everything done. And then when I, my um, husband and I first started having children, that's kind of when everything started shifting because I I had to kind of change my priorities and change my schedules to go around theirs and all these other things. It became very obvious that there was no time for me left over after my patients, my family, you know, there, there was no time for for me. There was no time for rest. There was no time for self-care. Um, and I did that for about two years. My children were uh, toddlers at the time that I kind of hit rock bottom with my rest journey. And I, you know, during that period when I burned out, that's when it really kind of, you know, first of all, that was really when I started to see that you can be burned out and still be functioning because, you know, I think that's where a lot of people are. They're functional burnouts. They are still going to work every day. They're still kind of getting things done, but they're not getting it done well. They're definitely not getting it done with a smile on their face or with any joy uh, in their life. And so that's where I found myself. And, you know, it was one of those situations where I felt like if I did all this work to build a life that is exhausting me, then there has to be some things that I can do to build a life that I actually enjoy. And I just need to determine what it is that's exhausting me. Because I don't think I really understood at the time. I initially thought I just need more sleep. And that wasn't the problem. Yes, I I think that's a place where our educators are right now. So you share that rest is more simply just not working. Can you walk us through what true rest actually is? And maybe if we have time, the difference between rest and self-care? Yeah. Well, honestly, to, to, to break that down, I feel like rest is a type of self-care. So I don't think they're actually different. I think there's a difference between rest and sleep, definitely. And I think that's probably where many people are missing the understanding that's actually keeping them in a place where they're not improving. Um, When most of us hear the word rest, we think about cessation activities. We think about stopping something. Um, So we think about sleeping and napping. And we think about, you know, if I'm not doing my normal work, then it must be rest because it's a cessation of my normal work. However, you know, that's not truly what rest is. Rest is about restoration. It's about pouring back into the places that have been depleted. And so sometimes stopping is needed because stopping prevents further drainage. 
but does stopping alone pour back in? And that's not always the case. That's why sometimes people on the weekend can, you know, spend an entire weekend laying around on their sofa doing nothing, but they still feel exhausted when they wake up the next Monday. And I think that's what we have to understand. Are we doing adequate restorative activities, which is a form of self-care? Or are we pouring back into the places that we're depleting? And I feel like for, for many of us, not only are we not pouring back into places, we haven't even identified what's being depleted. And that's really where the seven different types of rest and the kind of the breakdown of rest came for me when I when evaluating it. Because as a physician, you know, if someone comes into my medical practice and they say, hey, doc, I have a pain. Okay, what, it, what do I do with that? I mean, that's such unbeneficial information. You have a pain. Okay, is it a headache? Is it your foot? Is it your neck? I mean, what I do is going to be dependent on where the actual problem's at. However, people come into the doctor's office all the time and say, hey, I'm tired. It's no different. Where do I even look to see how to help that? And if you're the person who feels the fatigue, how do you solve that? How do you treat it if you don't know what exactly is tired? Mm -hmm. You know, the seven types of rest include the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. So if I have a creative rest deficit, if that's the area that's fatigued, and as educators, you know, a lot of times we're using excessive amounts of creative energy without even considering ourselves to be creatives. And so you're problem solving, you're, you're teaching auditory and visual learners, and they don't learn the same way. So you're having to create ways of presenting material so that everybody gets it. And so sometimes you're using excessive amounts of creative energy. And if you don't recognize that that's an area that can be depleted, you can sleep 10 hours and not improve a creative rest deficit because sleep does not help that particular problem. Right. Yeah. Wow. That, that was very powerful. And it, I know it spoke to me um, and I'm sure um, our audience as well, because as educators, there is a lot of creative work going on, like you said. And again, one of these aha moments I hope folks are getting is that I didn't even know there was such a thing as a creative rest needed or available for us. And so um, so just thank you for reiterating and, and sharing that there are different types and we have to know the difference between rest and sleep and have an opportunity to pour back in. So um, thank you for that. That was extremely powerful. Um, and as you know, like there are, if we, if it seems simple, but it's hard to do. <laughs> and um, I'm wondering if you can share with us um, what you've learned about how we show up as humans today that makes it difficult to even experience that type of rest that you're talking about. And then also, um, um, what about how we do that or how we think about that doesn't re-energize us? Yeah, our culture is um, anti-rest. Is the best way I can put it. Um, our culture is kind of built around this grind mentality, and that's been the case for, for many years. Um, you know, all of us are very close to a similar age, so we're, we came up in a culture where grind was the norm. However, you know, when I do work with millennials, they don't have that mindset anymore. Uh, millennials are more leaning towards I don't want to live the life I see that generation before us living because they're all burned out. None of them are happy. Nobody likes their job. 
you know, and I think they've recognized very quickly that honestly, to be someone who actually honors your own need for rest takes more courage than it is to grind. Um, when the culture, because if you're a nonconformist, when you say, um, no, I have boundaries and priorities and this doesn't align with either of them. So I'm not doing this extra, whatever it is someone might be asking you. That's not a, that's not the person who just kind of goes with the flow. And I think it's, you know, that's probably, probably the first thing to understand is that rest is not for weaklings. Rest is for the people who are actually courageous. If you um, really struggle with people pleasing, that's, that's enemy number one that you have to deal with because people pleasing behavior will keep you saying yes to things out of fear, guilt, and shame, which anything that you say yes to out of those reasons should truly be a no because that's how we experience emotional rest when we're able to truly say what we feel without feeling like we have to kind of mold it to fit somebody else's expectations. And so there's so many different layers to the problem. Uh, and it really starts off with each of us kind of getting honest about our own priorities and our and then setting some healthy personal boundaries. Because without that, it's very difficult to implement any type of rest strategy in your life. I feel like you're speaking directly to me because I listened to your or watched your TED talk and took your rest quiz and I'm the emotional one. Understanding that is helping me to understand that what I need rest it might be different from what Rohiatu needs or Cassandra needs. Our next question is was going to be about why it's important to know the type of tired you are so you can create a rest strategy, but I think we talked through that? Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah, well, you mentioned the rest quiz. I Sometimes people ask me, why did you even come up with that? Because <laughs> it's a lot of work on our end for my team, um, managing that, making sure it's tech. So you know how tech is. You're always making sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do at all times. And so um, we've been very fortunate um, to have an amazing tech team that kind of keeps up with that. The number of people who visit restquiz.com uh, skyrocketed during the pandemic and doesn't seem to be stopping. It continues to be extremely high. Uh, I think because so many of us recognize that there is something missing. We, we can't sometimes put our finger on what exactly, where the, where the depletion's at, what, where the problem is. And so the quiz is really just to help give you some guidance because with there being different types of rest, particularly seven, which is a big number, I don't want anyone to think, oh, I got to go out and get all seven of these things because that's overwhelming in itself. Just the thought of that. But the reality is most of us are already doing rest strategies. We just haven't called it that. We, 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 haven't, vid, we haven't really talked about it with that type of vocabulary. And so normally there's only one or two areas that are truly deficient with no, with where people are not even considering and touching. And it's when we focus on the one or two places where you have the greatest deficit, that's actually when people start feeling the difference faster. Because if you, mm -hmm. you know, if you only have 5% in a bucket and you fill it up to 30, you still have a long way to go, but that's a huge difference. <laughs> and so when someone has a true deficit, when they start doing any type of restorative activities, they automatically feel better. And I think that's the, the, the hope that we all have. You don't have to 
make these huge, gigantic changes in your rush strategy. You don't have to take a 30-day silent sabbatical. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to figure out how to get PTO to get, you know, 14-day vacation. <clears throat> We're talking about things you can do in the middle of a busy day. The busiest person who says they have no time for rest can learn how to incorporate some restorative processes that are, in some cases can almost be automated so that you don't, you know, you can combine them with habits you already do so that you truly don't even have to find any time to do it. It's just a part of your life. Uh, Cassandra, I'm just going to jump in real quick before you do. That's what, you know, listening to your TED Talk, it was really good because you laid out the different types of rest and then you gave just quick examples that you could do right there in the moment to just stop and pause and restore a little bit. So I very much appreciate that. Yeah, I think for, for myself, because rest is, <clears throat> I mean, I've been dealing with rest now for 10 years, <laughs> researching it, work-life integration and you know, teaching it to other people, training it within companies and, and corporations. And my personality still hasn't changed. I'm still a doer. My personality, my natural personality is get out of my way, let me get stuff done. That's just how I'm hotwired. And so I under I, if if anybody gets it, if you're if you're a type A hardwired person to just do, I totally get it. And so that's I think I think that's why it was I kind of broke it down like that because I know for myself I'm not taking a 30 day sabbatical. That would kill me. I I physically could not do that. Um, I'd lose my mind in the process. So it had to be something that that even people like me who are not natural resters could figure out how to get it done. And now I feel like you're talking to me. And so I think the, especially the hardwired uh, door, that, that is that is probably most people that are, that are listening to this. And I really appreciate um, you having these, you know, seven containers and how to think about rest. And that was super, super helpful for me. And what you just said to me allows me not to feel guilty that I can't take a 30-day sabbatical or I can't take two weeks off of work. But still, there are ways in which I can get the rest and the um, replenishment that, that I, I need. Um, have you noticed, um, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit um, that there are, you know, there are certain rests that people maybe need most. Are you noticing any, any trends around the rest that you find people need most from your um, survey? Yeah, so it shifted. The one that probably has been at the highest for the longest is mental rest. It has consistently been at the top of the list um, ever since we started the quiz back in, what was it, 2017, I think. It's been high consistently. However, when COVID hit and then we had um, <clears throat> that period in 2020 between March and I would probably say May, when all the schools went to hybrid, all the world basically, you know, went to, went to not hybrid, but virtual, went completely virtual. There was a severe uptick in sensory rest deficits. I mean, it went from being like number three to significantly jumping in the, up into number one. And I think that's just because most of us, you know, even in medicine went online. And so many careers who've never really had to be virtual or online or on computers for the amount of time 
And then you add into that the visual aspect of it. I don't think many of us understand the amount of sensory drain that happens in a Zoom room. And, and I won't just say Zoom, in a virtual video room. <laughs> Let's not just blame one, one area because honestly, we all need that to function now. But it's that those virtual visuals where we're looking at, you know, all the little boxes and every little box has a different visual input. Well, that's completely different than in like a classroom where all of us are looking at the same, you know, whiteboard or all of us are looking at the same computer screen or all of us are hearing the same, you know, people on the other room chatting or talking. When you have uh, all of the little boxes, you know, one student may have a box where they're in their bedroom. And so you're seeing if they made the bed up that day. And the next student may have a box with a bookcase behind them. So you're trying to figure out what books they're reading. You know, all these little visual inputs are overwhelming us because that's not normal. That's not what we typically would see in a classroom or in any kind of business meeting or any kind of setting where you have people all together. And I don't think we, re we were ready for that amount of visual overload and the sensory deficit that it causes, the sensory overwhelm that comes from that. Um, and so, you know, we talk about um, Zoom fatigue and those kind of things. That's why people feel so fatigued after that. It's not a physical fatigue because their behind has typically been in the chair as they were doing the meeting. It is actually a sensory fatigue that uh, many people have been experiencing. And that sensory fatigue impacts the mental rest. Is that what you're saying? Well, they're different. Sensory, the sensory fatigue can change. Mental rest is like your ability to clear your mind, to concentrate, to, to, um, to be able to kind of quiet your thoughts. The sensory rest, on the other hand, is kind of downgrading the sensory inputs that you're experiencing. The light, smell, sounds, taste, all of those things, the sensory inputs. The problem with sensory overload when we get a sensory rest deficit is most of us, our response to sensory overwhelm is that we become irritated, agitated, or angry. And so it, it actually affects our personality some, you know, no different than a, a child, you know, who a two-year-old goes to a birthday party, they're fine, you know, when they first get to the party, two hours in, they're screaming their head off, they're, you know, having a temper tantrum. Well, as we get older, we don't do that when we become sensory overwhelmed. We don't, you know, pound our fist in the ground and stump our feet. We just snip at people. You know, <laughs> we just become grouchy. We just become short tempered. And so a lot of times if you're noticing that you your personality seems to shift at some point in the middle of your day, because usually the sensory overload comes with time. Mm -hmm. So you start off your morning, you're good somewhere between one o'clock and three o'clock, you're like, why am I yelling at people? <laughs> why am I so short tempered? If a student doesn't get something, you know, what's changed? Chances are it's been a sensory overload response. So you're changing kind of your, it's almost like your personality is responding to the sensory input, even if you're not consciously aware that you're sensory overwhelmed. And unfortunately, it's usually not our clients or students or whoever that gets the blunt of that. It's usually our family because we keep it together kind of in our professional setting then we go home and you know your child asks what's for dinner and you snap their head off and you know they're just hungry they're not trying to be offensive yeah. <laughs> they just want food um but that sensory overload has kind of led you to that place where you just can't you just can't tolerate one more question mm -hmm. thank you for that distinction
that's a wonderful transition to just conversations about work-life balance, you know, all of these things. And even thinking about the profession of education, you mentioned something earlier about people pleasing and doing things out of shame and guilt. And to a certain degree, that can be embedded in education. Like do this for the kids. You should do this for the kids even when you're fatigued, even when you're tired. So just all of these concepts coming together is um, very revelatory. Um, since you were speaking about sensory um, overload specifically, <clears throat> I'd like to stay there. Um, so in addition to uh, Zoom fatigue and teaching virtually, educators also experience sensory and emotional um, overload when they're in the school environment. You know that there's bells that are ringing, there's bright lights. Um, 30 plus students who all have different needs. Um, and then adding that layer of COVID protocols or students wearing masks, um, who's out today, um, covering other classes for um, teachers who may be sick. Um, so I'm wondering if you can share with us, are there any strategies or guidance that you can offer educators on how to kind of automate um, that, as you mentioned before, um, ways to recharge? during the yeah. day. Yeah, I love that. Um, because I think that's the reality. It has to be something you can do in the middle of your day. And so, you know, when we think about the, the two you mentioned were emotional and sensory. So I'll focus more specifically on them. When you think about emotional rest, emotional rest specifically deals with the rest we experience when we are able to just be very truthful about our feelings. So uh, it's, it's not just having the opportunity to complain about something <laughs> because sometimes we feel like, oh, well, I can get emotional rest, you know, in the teacher's lounge, just complaining about all the stuff that's bad. That actually, that's, that's, that's what I call spewing toxicity because all that does is it keeps the drama and the trauma kind of stirred up. And it's actually not healing for you or the person listening. What actually is, is more effective uh, and what we consider to be emotional rest is when you talk about how it makes you personally feel because that's what we refuse to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to talk about, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. And, and you know, why did this person do this? But that's not truly what the problem is. The problem is how is it making you feel personally? And so just having that, you know, the thing with emotional rest, we each need someone who we feel is a safe person that we can truly say how we're feeling. Now, whether that's a friend or a colleague that might be, you know, there in the lounge with you, whether that could be a therapist or a counselor or, or you know, someone like that, that's your, that you're paying um, to be that person. It could be a pastor. It could be your spouse. But we each need someone where we are able to say how things are making us feel. Because unfortunately, by not having that opportunity to get emotional rest, what ends up happening is you, you carry a lot of emotional labor. And I feel like in this, in, um, whenever you're dealing with children um, of any age, whether they are, you know, the pre-K to, to college age, there's this, there's this desire that many of us have to protect them from things that are hard. Mm -hmm. You know, so if there's something difficult, we, we, we sometimes will carry the emotional labor of that and act like everything's okay. We keep a smile on our face, even though we might be scared in the middle of that tornado watch. You know, we, we try to stay upbeat and positive. And so there's an emotional labor that is kind of, that you assume. And the reality is that's part of sometimes being a professional, carrying some of that emotional labor, but it's not meant to be carried indefinitely. So you carry it in the moment. Sometimes you use the example 
of myself in medicine, you know, if I have a patient who maybe I've been seeing for 10 years, who is now in the ICU and we're in a life or death moment where I'm telling the family, there's nothing more we can do. My emotions don't click off after 10 years of caring for somebody. You know, I might want to burst into tears, but I'm not going to do that because it doesn't help the family or my nurses for me to have a meltdown in the middle of an already stressful situation. But that doesn't mean I don't need to process that at some point in time. Mm. And I think, you know, educators need to understand that as well. Although you keep it together, you know, maybe in front of the classroom when something hard happens, you still have to process it because otherwise you're going to become emotionally drained because you're carrying a lot of emotional labor you haven't released. In the area of sensory rest, you know, you, I love that you mentioned about, you know, bells and honestly, just kids, kids, depending on what age kids you're working with, kids are loud and high pitched. And <laughs> there's a lot of sensory overwhelm that can just come, um, whether they're happy or sad, they're loud. And so being aware of that and trying to carve out some moments to, to kind of diffuse that, I guess is the word I'm thinking of. Now, it really just depends on different school systems. I've done quite a few uh, different types of training within districts. And it's, you know, I didn't know this. <laughs> I think a physician is not something I would typically know, but just how even within a school district, how different schools have completely different uh, ways that they function. Whereas one may specifically give teachers kind of these little downtimes where let's say another teacher takes their class for a moment on the playground or something where that teacher can have 10 minutes or 15 minutes just to do whatever she needs to do. Whereas other schools look at me and like, as if that's the craziest thing they ever heard of. And I'm thinking the school down the streets doing <laughs> like, how do you not know this? So it's very interesting in how different there's cultures, I guess is what I'm saying, within each each actual school. And I think that's the thing that we, that has to kind of start from the top is I think each school district has to determine what is the culture we want to have within our school? Mm -hmm. Do we really want a wellness culture where not only are the students mm -hmm. well, but the teachers are well? Now that's my own soapbox. So I'll get off of that <laughs> because I truly feel like that is the problem globally between whether it's education, healthcare, corporate, it doesn't really matter, is that we have to look at the culture that we're creating within our different organizations. Um, and then for an individual, because what happens if the culture doesn't change in your, your personal spot? Start looking at when are some pieces within just your regular day. Let's say if you give the students an assignment and they got you know, 15 minutes, I don't know, to fill out a worksheet or, or whatever that thing is that you've given them to do. So yes, you can't necessarily leave the room because they got to be monitored because they're kids, they'll go crazy if you leave for a second. But can you, while you're sitting there, can you find some place to settle your brain? There's a topic that there's a concept we do called a mental word chair. It's where you focus your thoughts on one thing so that you can quiet your brain rather than having your, your and it's for mental rest, rather than having your brain kind of feel like it's always scattered and all over the place. So you just got done teaching, you've given them assignment, they're doing whatever they're doing. Can you, and you're giving them, let's say 15 minutes. Can you take five of those minutes and you're gonna purposely practice doing a mental word chair? Maybe you're anxious that day for whatever reason, or maybe something's worrying you. So maybe your word that you're gonna seat your thoughts within is the word peace. Or maybe there's something else that you, you know, maybe it's joy if you're needing to feel more excited or happy about something. Whatever that word is that you're wanting to focus your attention on, 
Every time your mind tries to wonder, you bring your thoughts back to that word. That's a mindfulness practice that can be very simple to do even in a crowded room because you're sitting at the desk, they're out there, you know, doing whatever you have them doing. And you can just try to keep focusing your thought on something that's pleasant, that's going to actually help keep you calm. Mm -hmm. Another thing you can actually on your computer, first of all, you have to determine what are the things that motivate you? So when we talk about creative rest, we're talking about um, the rest you experience when you appreciate beauty in whatever form. Well, for a lot of people, they appreciate it in the form of nature, whether that's like the beach. A lot of people say, I just feel better when I'm at the beach. So if that's your restful you know, place where you get inspired and it motivates you, or if it's artwork or music or dance, you know, you get to choose where you experience that creative rest, where you enjoy that beauty. Let's say if it is the beach, you could put on your computer lock screen a picture of kind of that place that makes you feel motivated and inspired and happy. And so while you're sitting there and the kids are out there, you can have your computer open on the desk in front of you with images of your creative rest flipping by the kids. Nobody else has any clue that you're looking at you know, art from the loose flipping across your screen uh, as they're out there and you're experiencing that creative rest without even having to leave your seat. Other ways that you can do that, you know, the kids are outside on the playground, they're running around doing whatever that they do. You already have to be out there. It's not like you can, you know, let them out and not go with them. So you're already outside, allowing that time outside to become a part of your creative rest. And it's really just being intentional. So if your creative rest includes things like, you know, nature, then taking a moment to actually look at the nature that's out there with you. What are the flowers that are out there? You know, a lot of schools are doing these sustainability projects and, you know, having the kids plant flowers and all of these things. Enjoy it. Actually take a moment to actually be in the moment mm -hmm. and not just being in a beautiful setting or being where you can appreciate the, the feel of the sun on your skin or seeing a bird fly by. Oftentimes we, we just don't take a moment to reflect on what we are experiencing within our day. And sometimes something as simple as that can start beginning to kind of pour back into you. That is fantastic. You basically shared with us how to live a restful life, <laughs> how yeah. we can include it in our daily lives. You don't have to take a long break from work in order to feel rejuvenated. And that was my next question. So you answered it already. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And another quick one, just while that was coming up as you were talking, you know, a lot of people have physical rest deficits. You know, with physical rest, we have two types. We have the passive, which are sleeping and napping. And honestly, getting the other types of rest help with sleeping because your, your body, soul, and spirit kind of is in a more calm place so you can sleep more deeply. But the active form of physical rest can be necessary also, particularly with educators, depending on the ergonomics of your desk. You know, what I've, what I've noticed is a lot of desks are not ergonomically built for, for the person that's sitting there. So depending on if you're short or tall can have an effect. So if you notice that like at the end of your day, you have a lot of neck pain or leg swelling and some things like that, there are simple things you can do there as well. So, you know, we talked about the students might be reading or, you know, who knows what, doing something, um, doing something where you actually are not having to be standing in front of the class, maybe seated at your desk. Oh, you could do some neck rolls or shoulder shrugs or something just to kind of loosen up whatever's tight. So if you are less than 5'4", 
Having just a stool underneath your desk, nobody has to even know it's there. A lot of women experience swelling because the chair they're in is actually pushing up against the back of their legs. And so you can buy it for like, I think it's it's like a little footstool. I think they're like $20 anywhere you get them from. You put them up under your your desk and it elevates your feet so that the back of the chair no longer is actually pushing on your thigh and calf areas. And it improves swelling. It actually helps you not to have that leg fatigue and cramping. And it actually helps um, prevent varicose veins and spider veins later in life. So a lot of simple things that just kind of making sure that the ergonomics of your work environment actually are effective for your body type. Oh, I love that. I've seen those little stools. I thought those are the cutest little things at the five below store. And I was like, why would I use that? Now I know what I'm going to use that for. (laughs) But another point I wanted to make uh, this year, I make a vision board every year and I usually, you know, cut out the magazine and, but this year I made a digital one. And when I, I can look at it anytime I want. So to your point about looking at a picture, I love the beach. So I have a beach house on there and I have a picture of a beach and it just brings me instant joy when I look at that. And I was thinking, am I just faking this? But no, I wasn't. It's really bringing me joy when I look at those pictures. So thank you for sharing that piece too. Yeah, creative rest is probably the most interesting of all of them when when I started researching and looking at that. The research was out there, but it was so um, disjointed. That's how I will state it. Because the thing is, so many of us, we, especially because when we look at it, I think it was somewhere close to 60% of people said that beaches and bodies of water, they felt something. It's like they couldn't logically wrap their head around exactly what they were experiencing, but they knew they felt better mm-hmm. just by seeing it, you know, and, and if they def- and if they were in the environment, they automatically felt better. And I think, you know, just looking at the research on that, it, it's amazing to, to see how effective it is just in imagery. You know, um, a lot of workplaces, you know, particularly places like the tech companies, the big tech companies, Silicon Valley companies, one of the things that they started doing pretty quick after this research came out um, were accent walls within their companies. Uh, WeWorks and these different kind of places, because what happens is when you're using a lot of creative energy, rather to problem solve, innovation, you know, teaching, any of those kind of things, and where you're always kind of having to think outside of the box and then kind of reform it so, so that others can get it. I think what's important to understand is your creative rest avenue has to be something you can get frequently because you're using creative energy all day long. So simple things bring, if it's, if it's the outdoors, bring a potted plant in, buy yourself flowers, you know, every now and then so that you have the fresh flowers that, you know, that's something that you enjoy, you know, put that in your home so that every, um, but I, I did that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Every um, every other week, I buy fresh flowers because they usually last about a week. So, <laughs> so every other week, I buy fresh flowers, and they would be in my home. I'm at work most of the day, but when I come home, I would experience that, and it felt like it felt like a treat. It felt like a kind of this little mini kind of breakaway just for me. I was just dropping in the chat. Me too. I buy flowers. 
Yes, you are. You're absolutely. It's something about, um, like you said, just kind of seeing them. It does something, and that I can't explain, but you just explained it very well. But yes, I do the the exact same thing in this nature, like that creative rest. That was my aha moment when I heard you say that. My walk that day, I discovered this fabulous tree that is just amazing. So I started taking mm. pictures of it. And now I have that as a part of my creative rest when I, you know, am feeling the need mm. for that. So thank you for sharing. Oh, that. I, love, I that. love that. Love it. Uh, is there anything else, Dr. Dalton Smith, that we didn't get, get to ask or you didn't get to share that you want to make sure our audience hears? The only thing I guess that comes to mind, you know, in the book, Sacred Rest, um, I divided it up into two different sections. You know, the first part talks about the actual seven types of rest uh, and going over the research and some of the tips on how to get it. The second half of the book, I actually talk about the gifts of rest. And I would probably just mention that. I think sometimes I, I get a lot of people interested in the seven types of rest. I don't see my favorite part of the gifts of rest mm. that um, the second half of the book goes over and I, I rarely get a chance to really share and talk about, but I mentioned 12 actually gifts that come when we rest. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm just going to have more energy. And, you know, honestly, I, that, I probably am to blame for some of that because that's actually the subtitle of the book, <laughs> Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. But what I find is those gifts actually are what makes me keep coming back to rest. Because the energy, you can get to a point where you can function on different levels of your own personal energy. But the gifts of less inclu included things like the gift of reflection, the gift of boundaries, the gift of communication, the gift of freedom, feeling like you have the freedom to, to make choices within your life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was one of the things that um, was a big part of me continuing my rest journey. When I started noticing that by practicing these seven types of rest, I was learning how to set healthy boundaries within my life. I was learning how to communicate better with other people. Mm. Um, I was learning how to own my yeses and my noes and to do it from a place where I felt like I was always speaking my truth. I was learning how to reflect upon my day. Just like you mentioned, this tree that's like, it looks like it appeared out of nowhere, but it's probably mm. been there a hundred years, right? <laughs> I was learning how to reflect. And for myself, a big part of that reflection was reflecting on the work that all had already been done. I think some of us, we are so, we are so goal-oriented driven that we are always looking at the next goal. So we check this off our to-do list, we're on to the next thing. We check that off, we're on to the next thing. And we never feel like the work is ever done because we're always moving to whatever the next thing is. However, with that gift of reflection, when we rest, when we break away, when we take time to kind of look over our day and find the good, the goodness within our day, it requires us to see what we have accomplished. And I think that's something that many of us miss out on. We're so busy kind of chasing the next thing that we don't find the joy in what we've already accomplished. And, I, and that part probably changed my mindset and my and my life honestly more than anything else yeah. having that time of reflection when I stop when I slow yeah. down when I break away for those moments awesome before I turn it over to charity I just want to say I'm looking forward to seeing you at the rest quest in March oh, oh I'm so glad you're coming yes, yes, yes that's coming. our 
That's our um, first one, first sacred rest quest. My friend Pat Layton and I, we've known each other forever, but and she's done, she does rest quests all the time. She has her entire work is kind of based around this life unpaused so that we kind of learn how to take pauses within our day. And so it was real when she asked me to join her for this live retreat coming up in March. You know, my first thought was, ah, I'm not really that kind of like I told you, a 30 day sabbatical. She's like, oh, it's just four days. Like four days I can do. <laughs> four days I can do. A week I can do. Two weeks a month, not so much. <laughs> Yes, awesome. Cassandra talked to Rohia too and I one day and said, I'm thinking about going. We were like, why haven't you scheduled it yet? She's like, "I well, my best friend doesn't want to go. We said, you're going. Let's plan this now. And so she did. I cannot wait to read your book. I can't wait to dig into those gifts. So I feel like that might be another podcast at another time. Thank you for taking the time to share with our audience today. There are so many takeaways that our educators can get from listening to this. Your work is so critical for everyone. And we think especially for our educators and our students. You can find all of Dr. Dalton Smith's resources in our show notes, including her a link to her book, Sacred Rest, her TED Talk, which is very good. And also her website, ichoosemybestlife.com or drdaltonsmith.com. Thank you again so much.